Just a heads up, this is an episode with some swearing. This is an ABC podcast. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try on the platform cross. So I had to queue to get into this shop. The staff are staggeringly aloof and the cheapest item in the room is still out of my price range. But they don't know that. Do they? No, they can't hear your thoughts. I'm giving off what I hope is an NFT new money vibe as I pull a pair of four-inch platform Crocs off the shelf. <laughs> and how much are these? 1350 That's right, $1,350. Or $775 per Croc. But it wasn't always this way. The first time I ever saw a pair of Crocs, I think I was working as a waitress in a bar and the kitchen staff used to wear them. And I was just shocked that these kind of shoes existed and that everyone was kind of like fine wearing them and not embarrassed. It was like a lipstick on the teeth, kind of like, is anyone going to say something? The truth is Crocs didn't really change. After all, there's only so much distance a croc can travel from crocness before it loses its essential croc status. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a foam clog with holes in the ceiling. In which case, what changed our minds? I'm Angela Boipierre, and this is Schmeitgeist, the podcast from ABC Everyday about our pop culture obsessions and why we love what we love. And right now, Crocs are beloved enough that they are, in some cases, worth more than a flight to Europe, because Crocs, like everything in fashion, are at the mercy of a force stronger than taste. They live and they die by the trend curve. So today on Schmeitgeist, we're finding out what it takes to go from being the butt of countless jokes to charting the dizzying heights of runway fashion. In short, what makes something this unlikely cool? So I have to admit that there is a part of me right now, probably the 18-year-old part of me who wanted to bring down governments with my journalism. She would be pretty pissed about the amount of time I've spent thinking and talking about Crocs lately. And what I would say to her is a couple of things, actually. Firstly, I would tell her to cut up her credit cards and use more moisturiser. But also I would say there is a lot that this ridiculous shoe can teach us about ourselves in 2022. Because really what Crocs give us, apart from a surprising amount of air on our toes, is the perfect window into the life of a trend. And what makes anything cool? So today we are doing capital D discourse on Crocs. And there is nothing that 18-year-old me can do about it. This must be given uh, the the <laughs> cultural attention and the weight and the discourse uh, that this uh, renegade item deserves. This is Tully. She's been watching the weirdly meteoric success of Crocs for years, for fun but also for her job. My name's Tully Walter. I'm a trend forecaster and futurist based here in Melbourne. I work for a company called called Soon Future Studies, which is a futures think tank. And we focus on uh, human behaviour and we like to look into who that consumer is in the 23 hours of the day that they're not shopping. Now, Tully is going to take us back to the birth of the croc in 2001, 
which makes them, fittingly, I guess, a member of Gen Z. Crocs themselves were founded by three friends in the USA and they were innovating on a foam clog by a Canadian brand called Foam Creations. Crocs later acquired the brand. The first model produced by Crocs was called The Beach and it was introduced at the 2002 Fort Lauderdale Boat Show in Florida. That is perfect. That is such good detail. Like I can see exactly the person who they imagined would You're wear right. this foam cloth. Yes. Like you you think you're comfortable in your loafers? <laughs> Try on a croc. Get this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> okay, so they're from Florida which checks out, I think. And after this fairly ignominious birth, Crocs had about a decade of humble, steady progress. Sure, they were weird, but they were good enough at it that they went global all the way to Castlemaine. I grew up in regional Victoria and I have very poignant memories of being in high school and laughing at Crocs. Mm. Uh, And I guess this was maybe the era of the ballet flat. And so the concept of Crocs felt very like a your leisure-centric uncle or maybe <laughs> a counterculture bohemian auntie. They were almost flagrantly aesthetic rejecting. Uh, they prioritised pure comfort mm. almost into the, the orthopaedic type shoe. But then <laughs> that structural ugliness was so confrontational at the time. They're, they're almost, you know, signalling, I do not adhere to the shoe shackles of normative footwear. So at this point, Crocs are an outsider shoe, not in a punk way, in an orthopedic as a slur, desperately unsexy kind of way. But if we know anything, we know that this is not the end of their journey. And they continued their wet march into workplaces like kitchens, squelching, squelching, squelching towards freedom on the feet of chefs and dish pigs. And that is when noted Crocs stand Shara first remembers seeing them back in 2014. The first time I ever saw a pair of Crocs, I think I was working as a waitress in a bar in Bondi and the kitchen staff used to wear them. And I was just shocked that these kind of shoes existed and that everyone was kind of like fine wearing them and not embarrassed. I just thought they were ridiculous. Right, because in the abstract, at first glance, they're they're hideously ugly, right? Like at first glance. Not only are they hideously ugly, everything about them seems so odd. Like, they're hideously ugly. They're always, like, so manky because people have been wearing them all the time. Mm. But they were also really light. Like, the fact that they were, like, really lightweight was just so, I don't know, just, like, every part of it just, like, irked me so much. I was like, yo, why do you wear these shoes? I was wearing really uncomfortable shoes, and he was like, you should get a pair of Crocs. And I was like, no fucking way. Those things are no way. Now, we'll come back to Shara because her thinking on this important topic obviously evolves, but around the same time she was arguing with that chef, a Scottish designer named Christopher Kane was having an idea, which he executed in 2016. He rolled out the croc in his 2016 pre-fall show and... The thing about Christopher Kane is he is a, a master of the subversive. He would do a lot of juxtaposition, high-low styling, 
bring in uh, elements like um, prints of, of Frankenstein's head on a, a T-shirt or using latex in an evening wear context, mm. conventions of BDSM uh, and making it couture. So he, he did love to play with different elements, contrast uh, and, and juxtaposition, and he used Crocs in the context of um, runway fashion. And, and following on from that, Vogue reported on Crocs as being incredibly chic, uh, as a direct <laughs> quote. So Crocs are sort of catapulting into that fashion must-have trend context. Okay, now this is where the trend curve kicks in because phase one in the trend curve belongs to the innovators and that's what Christopher Kane is. And what he was doing was far enough off book that it sparked a slew of panicked headlines which stretch from 2016 into 2017, like are Crocs suddenly cool? Brace yourselves and make it stop. But it didn't stop. From there... Crocs, the original Floridian boat show shoe, having seen the power of that initial collaboration, did more. And these collaborations have stretched from the likes of uh, Justin Bieber. I've been wearing Crocs since the beginning of time, and now I have my own design. You see there? I did a little rhyme. Huh? I did it again. Rhymeski, rhymeski doodle. Post Malone, teaming up with other fashion brands, teaming up with even the likes of KFC. And so all of these collaborations are not only activating the brand and getting, you know, the hype, the eyeballs on the shoes, but they're getting the co-signing from these influencers and tastemakers all around the globe. And the stocks of Crocs are just going up, moving from the ironic into a key fashion item. So having completed phase one of the trend curve, the innovators, Crocs reached phase two, the early adopters. And this is where Shara re-enters the frame. When you first bought a pair and started wearing them, was it like... Yeah. Were you, was there any part of you that was self-conscious stepping out in Crocs? No. I thought I was being so cool. But I bought the big platform ones. But at the time I worked in this office job and I was like, I'm going to buy Crocs and everybody laughed at me. And, like, some of the men that, we wor- that worked in the agency were like, what are those? Imagine if you did that to anybody else and just some random person about their shoes. But people felt like because you were wearing Crocs, they were, they were allowed to, like, openly mock you. Okay, so at this point, Shara knows she's doing something cool. She's a convert, but guys in her office are still off it. And this is key because according to the laws of the trend curve, their negative opinion doesn't actually detract from how cool Crocs are. In fact, it enhances the effect by reinforcing their exclusivity. It means that Shara knows something that they don't know. And this is the turning point. It's the same thing that happened with Normcore a couple of years earlier. Now, Normcore was a big phase in fashion, which was basically just dressing minimally and kind of basic. And it came right after the Indie Sleaze wave. See Schmeitgeist episode one, if you're wondering. And Indie Sleaze was all about looking as unique and special and bespoke as possible. And eventually, the only way to stand out from that group was to run in the opposite direction towards Normcore. The word was coined by this New York-based trend forecasting outfit called K-Hole. Here are two of its founders, Emily Segal and Sean Monaghan, during a lecture at Princeton in 2014, explaining why it took off in such a huge way. And so we were sort of like looking around at our environment, which is the downtown New York art scene, 
and seeing the shift towards instead of people celebrating difference, they were evading difference and trying to sort of opt into like sportswear or fetishize the aesthetics of like middle class malls in the middle of nowhere. And this is a kind of classic fashion designer move to come out at the end of the show looking like completely schlubby and basic and trying to show that your status and comes from such an advanced awareness of fashion that you can look completely normal because status in fashion in a difference-based system is all about finding like the ugliest, weirdest, most boring, most fucked up thing and sort of incorporating it into yourself to show that you can do that. And that's pretty much exactly what Shara was doing when she showed up at her office job in Platform Crocs. Look, I have a theory about them, which is that part of why things that are a little bit ugly make such excellent trends in fashion is because you get a certain clout from endorsing them because you're showing that your style is so um, strong and you are cool enough that you can take the ugly item, albeit one that is, you know, somewhat cool right now, but you can take the ugly item and make it work aesthetically. Yeah, definitely. I think that that is true. You, you know what? That's definitely what I thought. Because that when you asked me, like, was I embarrassed? I'm like, no, I looked cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. And then when I had, like, people in my office being like, what are those? I was like, yeah, what are those? I'm like, young and cool and you'll never get it. <laughs> yeah, you hit the nail on the head with that one, I think. So the very thing that first repulsed you is the yeah. thing that gave it its appeal in the end. Yeah, definitely. It was definitely the ugliness of them. Which brings us to phase three of the trend curve, the mainstream. And that is very much where we are now. But none of this is inevitable. It's happening because Crocs line up with a couple of other massive trends in the zeitgeist. Firstly, comfort dressing. Birkenstocks are the orthopedic shoe, aren't they? And and they've just collaborated with um, Manolo Blahnik, which you think of as Carrie Bradshaw from Sex and the City, her number one shoe, but really uh, a bit of a foot prison. Puffer jackets, I mean, North Face is having such a huge moment, really activated by their collaboration with Gucci. And I think embedded in that as well is with our sort of post-pandemic recovery. We've been through a collective trauma um, and I think the notion of of comfort and swaddling is a very sort of tangible way of, of moving forward in our lives. The second trend that syncs up with the croc craze is customization because there are these charms called gibbets, which you can attach to your Crocs. It's a whole thing. One of our producers, Elsa, found some in the wild. So I've got um, this little charm where you can put, like, in Crocs, basically. So the one I have is, is like, basically healthcare version of it. So I've got, like, a surgical mask on it, a Band-Aid and a little heartbreak. <laughs> I don't know why it's in there, but I don't know. So you're expressing yourself through... Yeah, basically expressing myself through my croc charms. And I can't believe that I'm about to say this sentence, but it's true. So here goes. 
Gibbets also have something pretty important to tell us about Gen Z and the zeitgeist more generally. When we think about this rapid uptake of Crocs and the context of Gen Z, who really are embracing this shoe and driving this shoe across their social media feeds, throughout festivals. They're the ones that are really embracing this. Um, Gen Z is the Depop generation. They they like clutter. They like excess. They like DIY. It's very about leaning into yourself. You know, Gen Z is the most diverse generation in history in terms of sexuality, gender. It is about diversity and it is about celebrating individuality as well. And I think that is what has ushered in the uptake of the croc is that it is is kind of that generational shift. So when you look at how they're hitting all these sweet spots in the culture, you can kind of see how Crocs got to where they are. But there's one last stage to the trend curve we haven't talked about yet. Because once something cool passes from innovators to early adopters and then into the hands of the mainstream, it inevitably reaches the laggards. And then once it hits the laggards, it's on its way out. And so if we were to map where crocs are now, they're very much at the mainstream. They're, they're, they're a mainstream type fashion trend, you know, accessible to the high street. And I think a huge kind of signal as to when, um, when it's falling off the top of the curve is when high street retailers and big box retailers start copying it, you know, when it does hit the um, uh, appropriation and or, or rip-off sector, and that's where Crocs is kind of, of moving. So if the trend curve holds true, Crocs are coming off the boil, although good luck prying them from Shara's cold dead fingers. As a shoe, it literally goes with everything. It's very flattering. I'm... I've been trying to, like, not wear them but um, and find a different pair of shoes just to mix it up, but I'm like, until they invent another shoe that is this good and, like, this versatile, I'm just going to be wearing Crocs. The other thing that strikes me about Crocs is that I feel like there wasn't room for people to be this silly in their aesthetic choices a generation ago or even 10 or 15 years ago. It feels like they're almost like kids' shoes, right? Crocs, especially the way that some of them are, like, stylized, they are like kids' shoes. And except if you were kind of a member of a a pretty committed and extreme subculture. It wasn't really acceptable to kind of go out in public dressed like a child as an adult. What do you think has changed that makes that possible now? Yes, I I think that's a brilliant observation. Um, And I think there's a couple of drivers that do come to mind for me. There's a there's been a real movement of uh, dopamine dressing. So 
again, post-pandemic and maybe a bit embedded in sort of post-millennial curation, there is this real boost of vivid colour, of excess, of fantastical proportions, Gigi Hadid's puffer jacket, uh, but also brands like uh, Molly Goddard um, doing huge voluminous silhouettes. We're seeing um, Scandinavian brands really pushing colour. It's a Escapism at its purest form. It, it, it is uplifting fashion. And another element of that is social media. We think of digital dressing. So what is going to get uh, the most views on your page, uh, whether that be Instagram or TikTok? What is going to pop on the feed? You know, bringing the proportions bigger, um, also making the colour more vibrant, head-turning sort of bowerbird textures and glitter to make your feeds pop and to get essentially and perhaps tragically, uh, more click-through, more likes. Additional to that, there is a lot of, on TikTok, the whole notion of core, cottage core and goblin core, mm. but there is kid core and clown core coming huh. through. So what better shoe would be appropriate for clown core than a gibbet-covered croc? Um, much the same with kid core. That is the magical thing about the now and what this generation kind of embraces is you can be whoever you want to be and maybe that's what crocs are the cultural item of the generation is you can be whatever you want to be and if you think i'm going to leave that absolute iceberg labeled kid core alone you would be very wrong after Tully mentioned Kid Core to me in that interview, I ended up going down a very deep rabbit hole on the topic. Not only about that, but how we're regressing more generally. So in episode eight, we are talking all things regression. I have a whole collection of like really silly shoes. Some of the shoes I have have teddy bears on them, on the tongue of the shoe, and little arms that stick out. And I have these in gold AstroTurf. Kids just lose their mind. They see them and they're like, <laughs> oh my God, did you know that you have teddy bears on your feet. I'm like, oh my God, no, I didn't. <laughs> Their jaws are dropped and they're just so jealous of me. And I'm like, yes, be jealous, small child. I am winning this game. <laughs> As well, we're getting into the mental health side of things. We're speaking to people who involuntarily regress to very young ages, sometimes pre-verbal. It's one of my favourite episodes in this season, so make sure you've subscribed on the ABC Listen app. Schmeitgeist is produced by Grant Walter and Elsa Silberstein for ABC Every Day. And our theme music is by Russell Fitzgibbon. Thanks for being here. We'll catch you next time. 